the spirit of that sending, we're going to uh, study the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. The title of the message is Empowered for Effectiveness. Empowered for Effectiveness. Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. Gathering them together, he, meaning Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Lord, help us as we study. I want to talk about three things today. One, people coming together. Two, people patiently waiting in expectation of what God might do. And three, what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Power to be his witness. One, gathering. I'm not quite sure what it looked like, but I feel like it looked something like this. Jesus had risen from the dead probably some 30 days earlier. And he had hung around with the disciples teaching them, helping them to understand the Old Testament passages about who he was opening up the scriptures to them, doing the fine-tuning so that they would be ready ministers for when he began to birth his church. Though they didn't know what it was looking like, and he had not spelled out exactly what the form would be, they knew that this equipping was absolutely essential for them to become what they needed to become so that they could do what they needed to do. And so after his resurrection, he stayed on the planet, popping in and out, if you will. Don't know where he went, when he went, but he popped in and out. And he was talking to them. Sometimes he'd be on the beach when they were out in the, in the lake fishing. And he'd say, hey, you caught anything today? Throw the net on the other side. And they did so. And they said, ah, we've been here before. And sure enough, they got a huge catch. And Peter realized, that's Jesus. And he jumped out of the boat, didn't help the brothers bring the fish in, and just started swimming to shore. Said, I want to be with him. He would just pop up in places and just start ministering and caring for people. And when they got to the shore, he already had fish. I don't know how he got them, but he got them. He can get them however he wants. They have to obey. They're his. So while he was there, I I have a feeling it went something like this. And gathering them together, not all 120 who happened to be in the, the, the upper room when the day of Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. I don't think they traveled around as a roving band of 120 for 50 days. I think folks were going to work. And they were meeting in small groups. And, and so I think Jesus in the city of Jerusalem was going around saying, listen, there's going to come a moment. We've got to gather together soon, okay? Come, 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 come at this time, at this time. And so what we see is Jesus, Jesus exhorting people to come together. And that's how you got here. Because he exhorted you at some point to show up at church. Now... I've studied some ecclesiologists, which are Christian sociologists. They study the nature of church and how church works culturally in each society. And America has this pattern that's rather disturbing. 
40% of the people who call themselves member of a particular church only show up one Sunday out of the month. Now, I wish that we were different than that. I wish Grace Covenant, everybody who is a member shows up every Sunday because that's what, what great Christians do. But unfortunately, we're just like every other church, which is disturbing for a pastor. And we can, we can, we can mark our calendar as to how many people will come on a certain day. Let me tell you why. You get to a point where you know everybody's going to show up. That's called Easter. <laughs> so this, this year, we had, had 4,500 people at Easter. We were happy about that. But the worst Sunday for every pastor is the Sunday after Easter. Why? Because those 40% who all showed up on their one day for the month don't come the next week because they already showed up their one day. And so everybody doesn't come. Now, all the other Sundays, of the 40%, 20% will come one Sunday, 25% the next Sunday, 30% the next Sunday, 15% the next. That's how it works. But on Easter, everybody comes. So they have clocked in. They punched their ticket, and so they all don't come next week. So predictable is it that we could actually plan how many people we're going to have the following week after Easter. Within 100 folks. And we did it this week. I, I wrote emails to my staff and said, listen, unless God does a miracle and the Holy Ghost falls and awakening happens, we had 4,500 this week. We'll probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,400 this week. Oh, that's half the people. I said, yep. Yeah. And that's exactly what we had. So I'm wanting to ask you, when Jesus asks you to gather, where do you go? I'm just asking, where do you go? Now, there are unusual things. I realize that some folk got to work. Gotcha. We'll figure out some other worship times where you go to your small group. You do Wednesday night. I got it. Some folk have to go on vacation every once in a while. Love vacation. I'm not trying to preach at a church on vacation, nor am I trying to go. Love vacation. But those are unusual moments. Where do you go the other three Sundays? What do you do the other three Sundays? If you do it once a month, you're only talking about 12 a year. There are 52 Sundays. When Jesus says, gather, where do you go? Hmm. I never got an answer in the other sessions either. The other, the other, yeah, the other services just didn't give me an answer either. Fortunately, the disciples heard. Now, considering that this was a seminal moment in the church, can you imagine if one of these men decided just not to show up? They would have missed out on the moment of church birthing. But Jesus said, we're gathering. And they all said, yes, sir. Now, there's no question. I am more passionate about us being together probably than anybody else. I get that. I've got a vested interest in us being who we are. And without you, we're less. Listen to me. Without you, we are less. You say, well, I only come and sit. I got that. But you hear. When you're here, you hear. Which means transformation can happen on the inside of you that does not happen when you're not here because you can't hear. So things happen. Without you here, we're less. Not less in numbers. I, I can't tell you how much numbers 
don't mean much to me. There's no way I can tell you how much numbers don't mean much to me. They mean something because numbers represent people, but I take no sense of significance out of how many folks show up on a Sunday. Zero. I'm so far past that. What I do care about is what Jesus Christ can do when you do show up. Amen. And the more people in whom he can do it, the better we can be. Amen. So when Jesus says, gather, please come. And if we aren't your people, I get that. Sometimes I may not be your cup of tea. Sometimes I don't like me, but I have no choice. I got to be with me. I get that. Find home. If we're not it, find home and show up. The disciples decided to show up. Now, I know I'm making big, a big issue out of what happened at this moment, meaning that when they did show up, the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, and it was just phenomenal. Signs and wonders. Fire on people's heads. Tongues just flapping up there. Wind, noise, violent. It was something that all of a sudden that came out with signs. It was an amazing moment. You say, well, Pastor, I can pretty much predict what's going to happen every Sunday in our church. That was unusual. I got that. We sing three songs. We have a transition. We come back and sing the chorus of another song. We do an offering. I preach for 30 minutes, give an invitation, y'all go home. You got it down. But there might be one Sunday. There might be one Sunday where God does something a little bit unusual. And that's not even to minimize that when he doesn't do something unusual, somehow it's less than. Simply because he didn't do the un unusual doesn't mean it wasn't spectacular. Amen. That's why you need to be here. Hmm. So they come together. But the interesting thing about their coming together is that these are people just like you. They're just like you. And so when they come together, they have an idea about why, one, why Jesus wants to bring them together. Jesus just said, come together. You're going to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is what the fathers promised. John baptized with water. But in not many days from now, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But they had no reference of what baptism in the Holy Spirit meant. We do because we saw what happened afterwards. They have no clue. And they believe Jesus is the Messiah, and they believe rightly so. But they don't know he's going anyplace. See, he's hung out after the resurrection for an entire month. 40 days he hung out with them. They thought that was permanent. That's why they ask this. Okay, the Holy Spirit thing, we don't get that. But we do know this. You are the Messiah. And the Messiah was to, was to set up a kingdom whose peace and prosperity would be unparalleled. There would be no end to that kingdom. And its borders would be ever expansive until it encompassed the entire earth. That's what the Messiah was to do. He was a kingly structure. It, it, he was a monarch. And he was to set up this dominion. They thought his resurrection and his hanging around was to set his administration in order so that when he showed up to Pilate's door, wouldn't, wouldn't that have been cool? Um, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> when he showed up to the high priest Caiaphas' door, um, you made a mistake. It was good, but you made a mistake. I am exactly who I said I was. Oh, this is what the disciples thought was going to happen. He's going to unseat Herod. He's going to show up in Pontius Pilate's door and kick him out. If they try to kill him, ha, it didn't work the first time. It won't work the second. This is amazing. He has conquered all foes, and he lives forevermore. He's not only king, he's God on the earth. Woo! We are about to do some serious reigning. 
So they say this, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what they were asking is this. See, they had been talking. They came together and they've been saying, okay, James and John, you can share secretary of defense. (laughs) Peter, you can be chief of staff. Yeah, John, you can be over the social networking. <laughs> He's the apostle of love. You, you can be able to, and, and all of the benevolence, welfare, if you will, not like, anyway, you can do that part. They were looking at all of their possibilities. Are, are, are we gathering together so you can set this thing up for us? Because this is what we've been waiting for. We know who you are. You are amazing. And when you set it up, it's going to be here to stay. And Jesus says this. Well, yeah, there's something about that that's true, but I don't know when that's going to happen. I have no idea. Only the Father knows when that's going to happen. But I can tell you what is going to happen. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. That will happen. I guarantee you that. When you come to church, you always have an idea about why God is gathering you. Why he's bringing us together. And those ideas center around usually how God can help you. I know why he wants me to come to church so I can get my marriage right. I know he wants me to come to church because my career is just crumbling and I haven't been and I haven't been reading my Bible and tithing and oh, I'm just a mess. So I need to go to church and get right so he can write my life. And there's nothing wrong with that because everything you just said that I said is true. You need to get right. And things that are wrong, God will right if you will get right. But he will leave some things wrong in order to remind you of how right you are not so you can get right. And until you get right, you won't get things right. I can't say that again. (laughs) I really can't. All that's true. He's going to fix you. He's going to help you. He's going to strengthen you. But at some point, somebody in this house is going to say, um, can you serve in children's ministry? Can you help out with youth? We need some help with the ushers. We need some intercessors. Can you help out the parking lot attendants? Can you be serving over there a little bit? And by the way, I've seen some of y'all. You need to repent before you walk in the building. <laughs> Those guys are... T- Go hear you. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You're coming to church. You're coming to church. <laughs> Help the brothers out there. Volunteers are trying to administrate so everybody is helped. <laughs> At some, bo- some point, it's going to go beyond what you think God has gathered you for. And he's going to not just, he's not going to ignore your expectations. He's going to exceed them. He'll fulfill. He'll help you. He'll strengthen you. But there's a reason you've been left here on the planet, and it's beyond just getting healthy. It's beyond fulfilling your personal destiny. It's about figuring out what part do you play in the big picture of his will on the planet? How can you be a witness of who he is to other people? That's why you've been left here. You've been, you've been, you've been, God, God allowed you to remain on the planet so that you could help people understand who he is. And unfortunately, 
most believers don't do that at all. They are more interested in just being right themselves than they are in helping other people get right. They're so concerned about damaging a relationship, maybe saying something wrong, offending somebody, not pushing their religion on somebody, that they don't ever tell somebody who's got cancer that they have a cure. Somebody who's got AIDS that they've got the remedy. We've got the fix for death. We have the fix for eternal death. And you won't share it? God help us. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the power to break through all of those insecurities and fear so that you can have the capacity to be my witness in the earth. When these dear folks go to L.A., they're going to need the power of the Spirit every day. The enemy is going to fight against them. They're going to find circumstances that they didn't know were coming that are, that are adverse. And they're going to have to, they can't just use good strategy. They're going to have to rely on the power of the Spirit every moment to overcome things and to be a witness of who Christ is in that community. You need to be that in your workplace. You need to be that in your, your neighborhood, in your community. When your kids play soccer to all the soccer moms who are with you or soccer dads, you need to be that to your friends. That's why Jesus said they were getting together because he was about to give them some information and some equipping empowerment so that they could do that. And when he did, when, he, when they got together, they, they knew that, that something was going to happen, but they didn't know what. And they patiently waited for the Holy Spirit to come. And this is what the Father had promised. And so the Father was going to give exactly what he said. He's not a God who, who should lie. He's always going to do what he said. And he promises us the Holy Spirit. It's not that we have to, f- to figure out whether we're worthy of the Holy Spirit and tarry for 10 years to get it. For those who took that long, I'm happy they got them. But somebody prayed for me, and in five minutes, I got it. And my, my tarrying was five minutes. The Holy Ghost wants to come upon us in order that we might be equipped to be better, better witnesses of who he was. And so they patiently waited, and the Holy Spirit came, and he came in such power. Why? Because the Father had promised And if you look in Luke chapter 11, God says this, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, meaning if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a scorpion. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Holy Spirit, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So God wants to give the Holy Spirit if we ask, but he's not going to force him upon anyone. Now, you might say, well, I had the Holy Spirit. I was born again. I mean, I love God. And, and he lives in my soul. You do. But are you utilizing him to the degree that you should to be the witness you could be? Because there are two seminal experiences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the disciples' lives in Scripture. Two. One, when Jesus rose from the dead, the day he did, and another, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. When he rose from the dead... After he had appeared to Mary there at the tomb, it says the disciples were in one room. And the door was locked for fear of the Jews because they were afraid that if, if, if the Jews found them, they would do the same thing to them that they did to Jesus. And so they were scared for their lives. And then Jesus just appears in the room. 
There's something about his supernatural body that did not let material things be a barrier any longer. And so he could just go through walls. And remember, the last time they saw Jesus, he was dead. So they see Jesus popping up in a room, and they think it's a ghost. They think it's some kind of weird paranormal moment. They're scared, more scared than they have been. To which Jesus says in John 20, verse 19 through 21, peace. Our version, chill. It's all right. It's all right, really. It's okay. It's me. It's just me. It's just me. And then when they, they realized it was him, they went, oh, 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 this is amazing. He said, wait, 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 wait. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And with that, it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he could have chosen any metaphor possible to, to allow the disciples to understand what it meant to be born again. And by the way, the only way you can be a Christian is if you are born again. Now, there are those who say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-again ones. Yes, you are. <laughs> you just don't know it. Right. Now, this isn't my culture. This is theology. I cannot allow the experience to dictate what I believe to be true about the Bible. I must allow theology to inform my experience. Jesus said in, Luke, in John chapter 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, much less enter it. So you say, well, I've never had that born-again experience thing. Please do not define the born-again experience by the culture we have created around it. Are you listening to me? I don't know what you've understood about what it means to be born again. But those of you who are Christians and never experienced a moment doesn't mean you didn't have a moment. There may have been an osmotic kind of influence in your life whereby you grew up in a godly home. And then all of a sudden, one day, you had a conscious awakening to the presence of God. And you realize, I love him with all my heart. Well, you don't know exactly when you were born again. But the fact that you are is evident by the fact that you love him. Because you can't love him unless you are born again. Are you listening to me? you got to have a change of heart. The only way you can identify with Christ fully and understanding all that he did for you is to first die. If you die, the only way you can come back is if you are born again. And God gives you the privilege now of not just being a son or daughter of Adam and Eve, but now a son and daughter of his. The fact that you don't remember it doesn't mean it didn't happen, just like you don't remember when you were naturally born. Somebody had to tell you. Now, I had an experience where the lights came on for me one day, and I remember. But it's no less legitimate or more than the one you'd had that you don't remember. The, the, the thief on the, on the cross beside Jesus. Living in sin, dying in sin. But all of a sudden he has an epiphany. He realizes who Christ is. He doesn't know all of it, but he knows something. And he's arguing with the other guy who's a criminal on the other side who's really, really depraved. But this guy has had something happen in his soul. And he, he looks at Jesus and says, Um... Could you like, could you like remember me? I'm not even worthy to ask, but could, just remember. Jesus saw his heart. Now, that prayer, that request, is not the one I'm going to use as a template to lead people to Jesus. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. I'm going to say, ask God to forgive you, repent of your sin, apologize. I'm going to lead them through the sinner's prayer. But Jesus knew this guy didn't know how to pray the sinner's prayer. 
He just said what was in his heart, but he didn't know how to communicate everything. And Jesus said this to him. I hear you. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. The guy got saved on remember me. (laughs) He got saved on remember me. So it's not so important to have the culturized, the, the moment that we have crafted that looks like born again. What is important is that you are. But that born again experience allows you the privilege of relating to God. And it's beautiful. It takes you out of deadness and sin and brings you into the kingdom of light and and, 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 and beauty and understanding who he is. It, it, you once were not a people, but now you are. Now You once were not a son and a daughter, but now you are. You have covenantal blessings. You have an inheritance. You get the privilege of bringing his promises on, on earth so that now you can invoke them in your career, in your relationships. You understand something about how to keep the, the relationships that are most important to you close. You get forgiveness. You get tolerance. You get patience. You get all the fruit of the Spirit. Everything you need in order to live right and live well, you get from God. Not to mention in the fact you get to go to heaven oh it's wonderful to be born again but there's more the disciples had all that on the day Jesus rose but then 50 days later they got another experience this is the one to which Jesus is referring in Acts 1 not many days from now and this was somewhere probably around day 30 after he'd risen from the dead you're going to receive another visitation from the Holy Ghost and it's going to wow you Now, the first one allowed you to get right with the Father. The second one allows you to help other people get right with the Father. You understand the distinction? Big difference. They were already right with God. Now he was saying this baptism in the Holy Spirit is going to give you the privilege of helping other people know who I am. It's all about touching other folks. And you say, well, couldn't I get it all at once? Sure. You can get it all at once, but I think God decided to delineate between the two and distinguish so that people didn't get the idea that somehow you had to speak in tongues or prophesy or utilize the gifts to prove you were born again. That there were two separate occasions, one that got people right with God, the other to help other people get other people right with God. Are you with me? So they get filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, tongues of fire, as I said, and wind and power, and it is quite a moment. And, and when they get filled with the Holy Spirit, the whole purpose is not just to manifest signs. It's so that they could be witnesses of who he is in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. So the goal was to get them out there to be, to be witnesses at home because home had become Jerusalem for even the guys that lived in Galilee, like Andrew and Simon and James and John. Home had become Jerusalem. And that was going to be the place where they started. But then Judea was like... Fairfax, D.C., Reston. And then Samaria would be West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and then the remotest parts of the earth. And so these guys had to have a big vision that they were going to go beyond just their locale, i.e., why we are planting in L.A. That is our version of one of the remotest parts on the planet. It's a long way from here. And so God wants us to be witnesses, but we need the power to do it. And this, 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 this man... Like you and I, Peter could not confess Jesus before a little girl the night night Christ was crucified. Yet 50 days later, he's standing in front of the same people, telling them all they need to repent. What happened? He became empowered. Unusually so. And God wants to give that to us. Now, one of the beautiful things is that there are manifestations of that power. 
And he gives us gifts to help accomplish our goal. I mean, wouldn't it be sad if somebody gave you a responsibility and didn't equip you to do it? That would be, that, that would be emasculating. That, that would be empathizing. You, you, you told me to do something, but I have no power. I don't have the ability. I don't know, I don't know the skill set. I don't have anything. God wants to give you all that, so he gives you gifts. And one of the gifts that was first manifested was speaking in tongues. And you say speaking in tongues is strange. I know some people do that. That's really strange. It's just weird, just flat weird. I'm not denying it's real, but it's just weird. Let me help you. When something is humorous, generally speaking, you laugh. You make unintelligible words come out of your mouth to describe how you feel. And there's a reason for that. When you could just say with English, that was funny, you don't. Why is that? Because saying that was funny does not describe how you feel about it fully. Which evidences the fact that English is not a perfect language to communicate everything you need to say. Are you listening to me? Now let me tell you something about English. You speak it, but you got to see Are you listening to me? It is your first language. It's the only language most of y'all know. But when you took it in high school, you got a C. Which means you do not know how to decline a noun. You don't know how to parse a verb. You don't know what a participle is, nor do you know what an article is. And you don't even know what I just said. That's grammar. These are principles of grammar. English is a flawed language because we are still coming up with words to describe how we feel. And even when we use it best, we still have to say things like, do you know what I mean? (laughs) And then, not only is the language flawed, we are flawed using it. So you're talking about flawed squared. Yet we're trying to communicate to a perfect God with flawed language and flawed people trying to use it. I find myself running out of English words to say to God many times. I pray a lot. I got a lot to pray for. My family, my church, ministry outside, every nation, world, missionaries, community, leaders. I pray for, I I got a section them off in days for me to cover everything adequately. And so I, 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 and I use a lot of English. And I try to wordsmith wordsmith my way through life. But there are things that just just I can't adequately communicate to God in my natural language. And so he gives me a beautiful language called tongues. Which is unintelligible, but it communicates something on the inside that cannot be communicated in English or any natural language to which you were born. Now what you did when I was trying to describe this is laughter. And laughter does that same thing, but it's amazing. Even though it was unintelligible when it came out of your mouth, nobody looked at the other person who was laughing and said, stop it. There you go again. There you go again. You're doing it again. And listen, everybody laughs differently. And there's no translation for it. Interpretation. They believe something was humorous. But there is no translation because it is unintelligible. And you literally now speak in natural tongues every day. Every day. Not spiritual. Natural tongues every day. So why would it be so unusual The God who wants us to communicate with him well would give us a way to do it that did not involve us using an imperfect language imperfectly. 
Why would that be so unusual? If he provided laughter, if he, if he allowed us the privilege of understanding what it means to emote when we cry, because saying, I feel sad, just doesn't cut it. And yet we... S- <laughs> Unintelligible. But everybody knows what it means. And so God gives a language. And if you don't want it, you don't have to have it. That's fine. You can try English for the rest of your days. And God will figure it out for you. But why? I can't figure out why people don't want to mature to a place where they can communicate without the hindrance of knowing proper grammar. And then just talk directly to God with a language that communicates everything perfectly. I need that because I don't know perfect prayers to pray for you. I'm not that smart. And so I pray, when I pray for the church, I pray in tongues a lot because I'm not quite sure what needs to be prayed. I just don't have all the information. But when I pray in a language that doesn't need grammar nor my understanding, all of a sudden God hears exactly what needs to be said. Why did he do that for me? For you. So I could be a better witness of his power on the earth as I pray for you and my family and my community as I talk to him about it. Same thing for prophecy. Same thing with healing. He gives all these things so that we might witness him on the earth. Excuse me. Be a witness for him on the earth to other people who don't know. Now, again, if you don't want it, you don't have to have it. But it sure does help a brother. To be empowered by the Spirit of God helps a brother. And this, you say, well, pastor, I mean, that's what you ought to do. You're a pastor. Mm-hmm. I just came from St. Thomas. You know, when I'm on vacation, when you, va- when you vacation, do you, do you still work? Do you try not to receive emails from the office? I mean, every once in a while, something might slip through in an emergency. But generally speaking, the reason you are on vacation is to not work. Well, what do I do? My job is to serve you. I have things for which I'm employed, yet I'm still called to be a Christian. I can't take off being a Christian when I go on vacation. I don't go on vacation from being a believer, even though the same stuff I do on vacation when I minister to someone feels a whole lot like what I'm doing here. (laughs) And so we're there lying on the beach. We're enjoying life. You know what people do on the beach? They camp out in their spot day after day after day. And Cynthia and I are on the beach, and we're enjoying life, and this couple is there every day. And we realize, okay, we're Christians. Nobody's paying us. This ain't my job. I'm a witness. And so we develop relationship, get into their lives. By the end of the time, we're praying for their children, praying for them. They've never, and when we start praying for them, they say, I got another one. Pray for this one, too. In the middle of the prayer. In the middle of the prayer, I, I got another one. His name is, get him, get him, and get him. And then they start arguing. Hear me. They start arguing because they say, wait a minute, let him finish with this one. It's <laughs> exactly what happened. They don't know anything about how to do this. They are a blank slate spiritually. And Cynthia and I sit there laughing at what? Let him finish with my daughter first and he can get yours later. <laughs> Oh, you can't make this up. I'm telling you. And then I wear these little things called five-fingered toes and shoes. And so when I go out in the ocean, I'm not getting cut up and stuff. And they really work. Well, somebody didn't. They were looking at me and wondering, why in the world it happened? They went out and stepped on a sea urchin. Now, if you don't know what a sea urchin is, just think of an underwater porcupine. 
And the thing went right through their toe. And they passed by us. She said, I just stepped on a sea urchin. I was wondering why you had those things on, and now I know. So she goes back. I said, Cynthia, go pray for her. Cynthia prayed for her, had a moment of ministry. They came over. We're grateful. We're called to be witnesses. Though you want to relegate my exhortation to one who is a pastor who needs to do this regularly, that's not the stuff for which I'm paid. I'll never see these people again, though the the people from New York said, when you come up, have lunch with us, please. We'd like to. They want to continue relationship. I'm not paid to do that. Now, I've missed many opportunities, I imagine, but not many. Did did I just say that? (laughs) I missed many opportunities, but not many. You know what I I meant not to. You know what I, yeah. God wants you to be a witness. He wants you to be a witness. And he's trying to give you the power to do it, to break through all your fear, all your concern about how people are going to perceive you, and realize if you don't share with them about who Jesus is, they probably aren't going to hear it. You're the best version they're ever going to have of his goodness and grace. Figure out a way to prioritize the most important thing, to save them from hell. If it means you... You, you damage the relationship a little bit, it's a great sacrifice. That's how you love people. That's how you love people. And there are ways to do it that are not obnoxious. You can be kind. You can be patient. You can be sensitive. You can wait like double jump. You ever been in double jump? I never can figure out how to get in the rope. <laughs> never can figure it out. But you're waiting constantly. Okay, now. Sometimes you have to time it right. And you'd be surprised how much they're waiting for the authentic. They've been begging for the authentic. Let's pray. God, I'm asking for your grace and mercy and power and help us, please. All we want to do is do this right. That's all we want to do. Help us to do it according to your pattern, not ours.